0: Hello internet friends and welcome back to another episode of Go Ask Alice, the show where we jump down random internet rabbit holes and bring you wonderful factoids from our adventures in Wiki Wonderland. I'm Drew and I can solve two-thirds of a Rubik's Cube. With me is...
1: I'm
2: Lindsay and I have resting friend-making face. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I'm Sarah and I've just discovered chai lattes and I'm
2: addicted. The premise of this show is that we all start out on the same page on Wikipedia, and we click around until we find something that we find interesting. We can't cheat, and we can't read the first sentence of every paragraph, and it just so happens that if we read two or more paragraphs, we have metrically found that it is interesting. So we prepare it ahead of time and present it to each other and to all of you.
1: That's right, but before we get started, it is time for question of the week. This week's question is, what is your favorite conspiracy theory? Drew? You can go first. Ooh,
0: well. I can go first. Okay. Well, uh, my favorite mm-hmm. conspiracy theory is that birds don't exist.
1: <laughs> I have seen the flyers. So, is this the the theory that the birds are like secretly spy drones?
0: Yes, that all birds are secretly mm-hmm. spy drones, and that there are no birds that exist. It's just it's just spying.
1: Just spying.
2: I believe part of this is that the government killed all real birds, <laughs> oh right? Yeah. Replaced them. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs>
2: I wouldn't put it past <laughs> the U.S. government.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god! Um, so if you have a seagull looking sus at you, you can just be like, "That's a that's a that's a drone. This
1: is a, that's a spy." Well, did you guys ever play the, the Simpsons is... Hit and Run video game? Because oh
0: were... my god! Yes. Yes. The bees, the yeah. bees are the
1: spy cams. <laughs> Deep yeah. I can't believe you oh, that was my life i loved that game so much
0: oh <laughs> me too <laughs> oh my god i didn't expect a, a memory from the gamecube to come back and haunt me
1: i'm <laughs> <laughs> sorry no it's fine I... I uh go on i was gonna say i think that's a pretty a pretty great conspiracy theory that's wild do you believe it or do you just oh, No, not at insane? all. Not at all. I just okay. think it's funny. Good. Sorry. I just had to check. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I believe it
1: 100%. <laughs> all right. Lindsay, what is your favorite conspiracy theory? So this one is my favorite because I was
2: involved in it. What? Well, part, well, so partially, it was, uh, I, that sounds more interesting than it is. Um, I believed it. Okay. Oh, okay. And then, and then I came to understand that it was uh, false. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, it, it came to me in a news headline in 2017 that the LAPD had been called to perform a house call on Milton Teagle Simmons. Um, but as everybody else knows him... I don't, I don't know who that is. Richard Simmons.
0: Oh, Richard Simmons. <laughs>
2: oh, okay, yeah, yeah. His real name is Milton Teagle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, and this is my favorite conspiracy theory because it's a lot of fact mixed with fiction like there are true parts of it and there are fake parts of it and the whole reason that the LAPD had to perform a house call in 2017 is because one day in 2014 Richard Simmons just straight up stopped teaching at his classes at his gym called Slimmons (laughs) Um, (laughs) he, he just didn't show up just one day he didn't show up and then it was completely radio silent and one of his former uh, students actually made a podcast about like like finding Richard Simmons because he just completely disappeared. Like he used to be really flamboyant and like you know crazy in his sparkles and like feathers and boas, like with fans and stuff like that. Just completely disappeared. So the LAPD had to come do a house call because people believed that he died and that other people were pretending to be Richard Simmons. Oh my god! And. Like, one of my favorite things about this is that, like, the other theories that sprung up were, like, one of his close friends was telling people that he was um, bewitched by, a like, a witch's black magic. And then, like, another person firmly believed that his housemaid was holding him hostage. <laughs> and then the National Enquirer oh wrote that he was becoming, quote, a softly spoken woman named Fiona. <laughs> oh. Um, there were they were all over the place. And um, even Trump on the campaign trail, I didn't know this because obviously I didn't follow Trump's campaign trail, but apparently he even like started campaigning that he promised to liberate Simmons.
0: <laughs> no, oh no God. way. no way. Yes.
2: <laughs> and so what was what like really fanned the fire was that the police went to go check up on him. but then it was only the police who came back and said he's fine. Like, it was, like, never Simmons who was, like, oh, yeah, I'm still alive. It was the police were, like, oh, he's fine. And then he, Simmons or his estate, posted to his Facebook account. But it was with, like, it was, like, saying, hey, I'm alive and fine. But it was with a picture from 2013. So everyone was, like, he might very well be dead.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God.
2: (laughs) I mean, like, honestly, I think the truth is that he's, like, in his 60s and tired. Well, now he's in his 70s, but, like, tired of being famous and like really high energy and just like wants people to leave him alone. But he very, very, very suddenly left. And what was interesting was as I was looking this up to double check, this really fucking happened. um, I saw that like the most recent um, activity from him was that he actually, or his estate posted um, videos to his YouTube account to help people stay fit during the pandemic. But again, like that could have not been him. So I, I don't know where
1: I so he wasn't in the videos. It's, they are
2: pre recorded videos from a super long time ago, but now they're just like being offered for free on oh. his YouTube channel. But like anyone could do that.
0: Yeah, anyone could. It didn't have to be him. Oh my god.
1: It doesn't sound as crazy <laughs> as I thought it was gonna be no it's, I was so I was so intrigued in 2017
2: I like saw that headline and I was like wow this is really plausible but I think that's where conspiracy theories get you you know it would <laughs> be plausible I, it probably is that he's alive and just wants to be left alone but um it was one that I briefly believed
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh that's amazing so do you believe it anymore no
2: actually after digging um there were very few times that he resurfaced and said like, I'm fine, but I really just want to be left alone. And I think family said the same thing, no. um, but people just keep pushing. So, man. Like, yeah, I, I actually end up, after double checking that this really happened, um, I actually felt really, really bad for him. So I would also like to leave him alone. I'll let him be alive or dead or whatever he wants. Okay.
0: <laughs> whatever, he wants.
1: whatever he wants. Whatever
0: he chooses to be. <laughs>
1: what about you sarah okay um so one of my favorite conspiracy theories is that the moon doesn't exist which <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: sounds ridiculous uh, but so i had kind of vaguely heard of it but it wasn't until the other day i was scrolling on tiktok and it legitimately there was like several videos in a row that were people filming the moon and it, like supposedly seeing it glitch so i think they think it's like a truman show type like projection on the sky um which i thought was just amazing and so i don't know if anyone believes it but if they do that is absolutely wild <laughs>
2: um, what, what motivation would there be for having a baby? i don't know
1: i saw somewhere that it was like the government's trying to control you um and i'm like okay but like there's recorded history of like all ancient civilizations referencing the moon but also the tides yeah exactly what about tides and like king tides when the moon is closer to us and no i I think it's a load of bullshit but i think it is a fun conspiracy that people are going down the rabbit hole (laughs) (laughs) oh man and you can never prove it to them you can never just yeah. Put them on the moon and be like, Look, exactly. like, look, it's here. You're on it. They'd be like,
0: Oh, I'm on another planet. I love that. It's
1: just like one step wilder than the we didn't go to the moon conspiracy. It's like, no, the moon doesn't exist at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At least people in that case are willing to admit that a moon exists. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that would that would be mine not a biggie not as wild as the richard simmons and not as unplausible i think as the birds i don't know i think it would be easier for the government to fake a moon than it would to replace all birds with security cameras (laughs) all those birds
2: (laughs) yeah
1: Yes. Yeah, Yes, so we, we want to hear our listeners' conspiracy theories. So you can go over to our Twitter account, go ask Alice Pod, and interact with us and tell us your favorite conspiracy theories, whether you believe them or not. No judgment here, uh, but we'd just like to hear them. Okay, so shall we dive into today's wiki page? Yeah,
2: so Sarah, you chose the wiki page this week. What did you choose?
1: I did. I chose the wiki page for cactus because I really like cactuses.
0: I mean, who doesn't?
1: I think they're just underrated.
2: How many clicks did you, did you uh, diverge from cactus? Oh, this is amazing! Only three. Wow. Okay. Drew. Yeah. How many clicks away did you end
1: up?
0: I ended up at five. Five clicks.
1: <laughs> I'm at twelve. <laughs> Above and beyond. That's incredible.
0: Hard to please. Oh.
1: And you were worried we were gonna end up on the same page. Yeah, right. <laughs> we still we could have. We we really could have. I'm Theoretically I'm that interested. is true, yeah. Uh, Sarah, where did you end up? I ended up on cursed tablets.
2: <gasps> oh oh god, I, I can't mean. wait.
1: <laughs> I love them.
2: <laughs> oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Drew, where are you? I'm salivating. I,
0: <laughs> here, <where are> you? <laughs> Ew. <laughs> I ended up huh? on mimics from D D.
2: Oh I don't know what that means. I should know what that means. Drew and I are in a D&D campaign,
1: <laughs> campaign Group together. To yeah. <laughs> we have been for like four years now. So like, I don't know what that means. I love D&D. I'm in two at the moment, but it. it's a wild ride. I love it. And what was yours, Lindsay? I ended
2: up, I'm only going to say it's a ghost story.
1: Ooh.
0: Where the hell do we start?
1: <laughs> should d- Drew go first this week?
0: Okay, yeah, I can do that.
1: Little little round robin.
0: Little round robin. And then, so who goes second?
1: I want to hear the ghost story really badly.
0: So do me, Lindsay, then Sarah. Sounds
1: good.
0: All right. So, mimics from D&D. So I started at Cactus, of course, and I went from that to Spines and Thorns, (laughs) then I did Plant Defense Against Herbivores, then I got to Mimicry, and then I got to Disambiguous Mimics... And then from Disambiguous Mimics, I got to the Mimics from D&D. That's amazing.
1: So, that is an amazing uh, roller coaster.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it was, it was a roller coaster. So uh, I'm not sure how many games, tabletop or otherwise, you two play. Uh, but one of the very common tropes in games is the idea of trap creatures. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Mimics are at the center of this concept. So basically what a Mimic is, it's a creature that can disguise itself as a common object with the purpose of tricking someone or something into interacting with it and then thereby springing the trap. So the most common of these is a fake chest where the Mimic pretends to be a wooden chest so that when an unfortunate adventurer tries to open the chest, they are in the Mimic's clutches. So... The first iteration of the mimic as a trap creature dates back to 1977, where it was introduced in the monster manual of the first edition of Dungeons and Dragons. The mimic in this iteration could change its shape and color to match any object, and once touched, could produce an adhesive strong enough to hold the victim. The mimic would then bludgeon the victim with its pseudopodia, or tentacle like <laughs> protrusions. I like that word, pseudopodia.
1: That's a great um, word. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Ah uh, basically would attach to you and beat you to death. And the danger these creatures presented to a solo adventurer makes dungeons just a little bit more scary, as even the loot itself could be dangerous, and not just the dungeon around it. And these are absolutely my favorite creature in Dungeons and Dragons. I love mimics because like you know they're in so much other media, and mm. I really wanted to figure out like where they come from because there's so many other games, there's so many other books, you know, anything tabletop rpgs that have mimics and i really wanted to get to this like where where do mimics come from because i feel like it's it's such a you know such an omnipresent thing so i began digging
1: it's like the ultimate villain that can blend in with anything and get you at any time i love it
0: yeah it's like a uh it's it's truly a trap that just kind of sits there and waits for you and you're just like, oh great loot, and then you just touch it and it just has you in its clutches and then just beats you to death. <laughs> like with, with
1: its suit tentacles. <laughs> <laughs> with
0: its tentacles, yeah. Uh, it's it's funny, the the image had this little like tentacle with a fist at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> loved it.
2: Is this where it comes from though? Like I would be surprised if it was, you know, to me that sounds like a very modern
0: idea is this really where it comes from so uh the idea of a mimic itself like the the creature itself is is from the 1977 dungeons and dragons but let's get into where it actually comes from because that's where i got okay, from. Cool. so um so let's i let's start with the idea of nature or not the idea let's start with another, another <laughs> nature what a theory. concept the idea of nature <laughs> Okay, so let's start with nature, yeah. as this idea is as old as the predator and prey dynamic. So this type of mimicry is called aggressive mimicry, which is also compared to the story of a wolf in sheep's clothing, which we'll get to later. But basically, the idea is to present oneself as something innocuous in order to have the mm. prey let its guard down and then attack, of right. course.
1: This is like Ted Bundy. Yeah. Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Disguising oneself as a normal human. Yeah, there you go. Yeah
1: pretending like what did he used to do he used to wear a fake cast to to look vulnerable oh that's just a mimic in real life
0: he's a mimic in real life i don't like that oh (laughs) no need the good riddance yeah good riddance um (laughs) so this is of course the scene throughout the natural world as you know a predator can't simply just walk up to prey without having some kind of ploy so um (laughs) yeah let me just put you in my stomach you know there's no there has to be something that the pre, that the, the predator does. So I'm sure we can all think of examples, but here are a few of my favorites. So um okay. anglerfish and alligator snapping turtles oh. both use little lures. Yes.
1: yes. So, anglerfish are so incredible. <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: they're, they're weird they're so weird their whole mating thing okay. is so weird too we're not going to
1: talk about it yeah, the, little, the male anglerfish like fuses himself to become like a bag of testes on the side of the female Whoa. Yeah. yep 100% It's wild. that's, that's
0: anglerfish mating
1: I love it, oh, and it wow. they're weird little creepies
0: it could even do it with more than one male so it could just have like a okay. bunch of just just.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but that's mating, and we're talking about eating. Yes. So anglerfish and alligator snapping turtles both have little lures that they put out that, you know, a little fish is like, oh, great, this, this is like a little fish that I can eat, and then just, like, finds jaws at the end of it. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's a form of aggressive mimicry. Then there's venus flytraps use brightly colored leaves to pretend yes. to be flowers to attract insects. So, you know, flowers are very brightly colored, so venus flytraps leave the inside of their you know, quote-unquote mouths to be very colored. And then, you know, flies are like, oh, this is great. And then, you know, the uh, the fly trap closes and, you know, that's history. <laughs> so finally, finally we get back to my boys, the cleaning fish.
2: Yeah, I so love there the are cleaning f- fish. Oh, from last time.
0: There are fake cleaning fish that oh, look oh. exactly like the regular oh. cleaning fish, but instead take huge bites out of the, the host fish oh. that's being cleaned and then flees before the host fish can figure out what happened. So it ruins the whole relationship of host of, of host and cleaning fish because it just like bites the host fish and just like I'm out and then <laughs> the host fish is just like what the hell just happened? Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, that's so that's sad. So He's
2: rude. like I'll never trust again.
0: I'll never trust again. I'm never coming back here. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, so that's uh, that's that's it in nature, and those are a few of my favorite examples. Um, so now let's move on to folklore. Yeah. Uh, as I mentioned before, the story of wolf in sheep's clothing is often used to equate to aggressive mimicry. And this story roots in biblical writings in which Jesus, during the Sermon on the Mount, described being aware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves, or <laughs> raving wolves, sorry, know, ravening wolves. I don't
1: know God. why. I thought you were going to tell me that Jesus dressed up in, like, sheep's clothing <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Jesus, Uh, to get more
2: followers. (laughs) Uh,
1: Sorry.
0: No, no, it's fine. I just I have an image of Jesus in like a sheep, and he's just like, beware of (laughs) sheep. Yeah.
1: Like I don't know why I can picture him with like a sheep carcass over over his shoulders. Oh Jesus! Trying to blend in. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) sorry please continue
0: uh enough (laughs) blasphemy for the for us
1: (laughs) (laughs) enough for one day
0: (laughs) enough for one day so the first fable concerning a wolf disguising itself as sheep came to us in the 12th century by the greek writer here we go nicophorus basilakis
1: uh
0: in (laughs) in his work called Minismata, which is rhetorical exercises (sighs) And basically the story goes that a wolf takes to the disguise of a sheep and is locked in with the sheep during the night, but is killed by the shepherd when the shepherd wants to have sheep for supper. So basically the shepherd finds the wolf just sitting in the, the pen and is just like, what are you doing here? And just stabs it. <laughs> oh, <God>. so, <laughs> and that's, that's the story. Um, so there are quite a few other variations of the story of wolves in sheep's clothing uh, throughout history. And it's just like this idea of a dangerous creature disguising itself as something innocuous is just seen throughout historical writings, which I found very, very interesting. And that was kind of like what I, I would call the basis of a mimic is, is that. Um, but now let's actually get into monsters in folklore, my yes. favorite part. So in medieval folklore, there's an animal called a mimic dog which is a wild dog that could perfectly mimic human speech, behavior, and motions.
1: I want it as a pet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, right? <laughs> um, so these dogs ended up being fun dogs to have in courts and are not inherently dangerous, but other creatures, such as the Krokata, which is another medieval creature, could mimic human cries for help in order to lure people close enough to be eaten. Now, now let's move to Slavic mythology. So there's the concept of the leshi. So these creatures usually appear as tall men, but have the ability to change their size and shapeshift into any form, plant or animal, and can even shrink to the size of a blade of grass or grow to the size of a tree. It is commonly understood, and I, this is this is from a, an article, commonly understood that leshies will lead peasants astray, make people sick, and even tickle them to death. And yes, I said tickle them to death. <laughs> oh no! So I would these hate creatures being <laughs> tickled to death.
2: I get very serious when I'm tickled. I'm like, do not fucking touch me. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so these creatures are terribly mischievous and have horrible cries. However, leshies can also imitate human voices and oftentimes lure lost wanderers into their caves to be tickled to death. <laughs> Which I find so funny. <sighs> Uh, they aren't always evil, but do enjoy misguiding humans and kidnapping young women. So there you go. There's, there's leshies or, or. (laughs) They
1: aren't always evil. They're
0: not always evil, but they love kidnapping young women.
1: Yeah. They just dabble in some kidnapping. Dabble in some kidnapping. Boys will
0: be boys. Boys will be kid. (laughs) (laughs) Tickle you to death. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're, they're protectors of the forest. So if you, if you mess with the forest, then, then you're going to meet a leshy. You're going to get the tickle. (laughs) Um.
1: I kind of like that idea.
0: (laughs) Getting tickled to death?
1: Get a tickle to death. (laughs) (laughs) We should bring that back.
0: (laughs) Bring that back. Okay, so uh, selkies are another creature. They're found in Icelandic, Irish, and Scottish mythology. And basically they're very similar to mermaids. But they (laughs) they can transform themselves completely into humans by shedding their seal skin and uh shedding their seal skin is often dangerous to them because they have to reapply the same skin that they had shed in order to r- return to their original form and if someone would take control of a Selkie's seal skin try saying that five times fast selkie <laughs> seal skin, um this <laughs> <go through that. laughs> the selkie would be under their control but like mermaids, they have also been known to lure humans into the sea using illusions and false sense of reality to pull them into the ocean. So very similar to mermaids in in mm. common, uh, you know, common folklore,
1: like the mermaid song.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: You can see why Disney Disney didn't go with a sulky for
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> my, my little mer, what is what's the mermaid? The little, the little, the little my, mermaid. My, <laughs>
0: Oh, my little mermaid.
1: <laughs> the classic. My, my little
0: mermaid.
1: mermaid. <laughs> oh my god, it's just combining two things. That's awful. Yeah, it's like the little mermaid with a ponytail. <laughs> 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 but yeah, she would have been a lot, a lot creepier to the prince if she was like hauling her fins around with her to keep him safe.
0: Yeah, yeah. Keep them safe. You got to pull my seal skin around with me. Ugh. I think that wouldn't have gone so well.
1: Yeah. But
0: uh, yeah, they would they would lure people into the ocean, and that was their their big thing. Um, and they were, I guess, they would use illusions and things to to really bring people mm. close to the ocean, and then just grab them and pull them in. Finally, the 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 last creature that I looked into was the 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 Suku Mongami from Japanese folklore. And these are common household objects that are being occupied by a spirit. And these objects, once they reach their 100th birthday, become alive and self-aware, <laughs> which is funny.
2: Oh, my God. That's amazing.
0: <laughs> and these objects were given the power to change themselves once they were occupied with a spirit. And they would often play pranks on people. But if they became angry, they could take revenge on people for mistreating them or even throwing them away before their 100th birthday. <laughs> which is great. This
1: sounds like... um. A hoarder's excuse for keeping a lot of things in their house. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no, 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 I need to keep it all. They're not a hundred. They're not a hundred yet. yet.
0: Well, That's they, they would. <laughs> they would get rid of stuff before it hit a hundred <laughs> because they was scared. Like they were scared of it. They didn't want to. Uh, they didn't want it to become possessed.
1: Oh. So it wasn't like a friendly spirit.
0: No, no, it was. It was. Well, it was friendly because it would only play pranks on you. But it wasn't. It wasn't you know something you'd want in your house because it's like a you know now you now your shovel is just flying around and, and being a nuisance <laughs> you know i okay, wouldn't want okay, that fair
2: enough fair enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's better if somebody else had that shovel when it's <laughs> yeah
0: yeah uh so there are some very well-known tsukumogami in japanese folklore that have legends themselves but i really want to get back to mimics so let's get back to mimics themselves so the co-creator of D anD D, Gary Gygax. Yeah. What a name! Oh, we
2: know Gary. <laughs> Gary, we know Gary. So, <laughs> Gassic,
0: <or Gax. laughs> He created these creatures with two basic archetype archetypes. Wow, archetypes! Jesus, archetypes! Um, and the first was uh, just a big dumb eat anything that touches me mimics, which, as the description implies, would literally eat anything that touches them with so mu- without so much as a second thought. Then there are the smaller, more intelligent mimics that would bargain with that could be bargained with using food, but these kinds of mimics are not often represented in media.
2: And, <laughs> wait, uh, wait, wait. So if I slap this chest with a slice of bologna first, I might be fine. Yeah, you
0: might be fine. <laughs> it, it depends on what kind of mimic if it's like a smaller one, then it might, you know, you might be fine if you hand it bologna. But if you don't, then uh you're losing an arm, so or getting bludgeoned to death. <laughs> 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 oh my God. Smack, smack smack. Smack smack, <laughs> smack, 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 smack by a big old tentacle. Um, so there are even whole ecologies of mimics. So this was written by Ed Greenwood, uh, which provides reasoning as to, as to how mimics are able to change their shape and color. It even, it was like, Oh, they can, you know, uh, use this pigment throughout their skin. And it was just a really cool, like actual ecology of mimics. It felt very scientific, but it was just like, this is a mimic at the end of the day. Um, and uh, in this article, it describes that mimics observe their surroundings with very sensitive eye spots, which is patches of pigments that are sensitive to light, heat, and vibration, which is just like it makes it seem like an actual animal all over its skin. And this is why mimics are not seen in places with natural light, as they would not be able to see in direct sunlight. So um, the, the funny thing... Oh, is a
2: real science. Yeah, it's
0: like, a, it's like an actual science behind mimics. And the uh, the I love it. the funny thing is that mimics are not actual natural creatures in D anD D. They are created by wizards that are wanting to protect themselves from treasure hunters. So even mimics are not natural creatures. They're like they're created, which I just <laughs> found very very funny. Um, and yes, there are several.
1: That makes sense. That makes sense. Though.
0: Yeah, that they that they don't naturally occur. That it's like actually someone wanting to, to protect A themselves.
1: thing. Yeah. Yeah, of course.
0: Uh, so there are several different varieties of mimics. Uh, there's the metal mimic, which can, of course, m- mimic metal objects. There's a thing called the space mimic, which naturally uses magic and will disguise itself as pieces of ship or furniture. And they can even cast mm-hmm. illusory magic to draw on victims. And weirdly, space mimics have two eyes that they hide under thick eyelids. So it's just, <laughs> it's just like a like imagine a chair with just like two eyes just sitting there staring at you. Um, I
1: love it. That's amazing.
0: <laughs> and uh, they naturally have an interest in magic items as well as food. So I just found that interesting about them that they're not just like food motivated. They're, they're like, oh, I want a magic item. So I'll, you know, eat a wizard for that.
1: they like the shiny things.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and then
0: finally, we have greater mimics, which are my favorite, which are literally can mimic full rooms, including furnitures, paintings, and can even create oh, oh fake. My God. They can even create fake NPCs. That you can talk to before it starts slamming the walls of the room down on you.
1: (laughs) Oh, that sounds amazing. (laughs) That is so metal.
0: It's just like this this room that you're just sitting in. And then all of a sudden it just starts like bam, 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 slamming walls down on you.
1: Oh, this
2: sounds like a nightmare. Do you think that at Mimic conventions they talk and trade interior design ideas? (laughs) Like, yeah, I go a little Art Deco with my... Decor. <laughs>
0: oh,
2: I prefer Gregorian architecture.
1: <laughs> I like to set a nice fire, make yeah. them feel comfortable.
0: And then start slamming my walls down. <laughs> yeah. I feel
2: that 35 seconds is the appropriate time before I get sticky.
0: Before I get sticky and you get slammed. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I, I would assume at mimic conventions they're, they're probably talking talking they trade about notes. yeah they trade notes on how <laughs> best to capture people
2: make sure to only use fabrics locally sourced so as not to raise their suspicion
0: <laughs> <laughs> we must match the decor of where we are but uh, yeah to basically sum up Mimics uh, it's funny that they've appeared in all iterations of the D&D monster manual they've never been left out which i found very interesting and they've been seen in all kinds of different media and one of my favorite media, uh, Dark Souls, actually has these great mimics that just, like, grab you and eat you, which is just a ton of fun. And I absolutely love them. ton of fun. And, um, I love it. ton of fun. <laughs> 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 and although the mimics may not have direct roots to folklore, the idea of hiding something innocuous, uh, hiding as an innocuous object, has been seen throughout history and nature. And mm. I just love mimics, and I really wanted to look into them more deeply. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's mimics for you.
2: That's awesome. That's so cool that you could get there so quickly from cacti. (laughs) I know, I'm amazed. That's incredible.
1: (laughs) That is very, very cool. I love the the history behind like something hiding in plain sight in folklore. I think that's great.
2: I also feel that the more I learn about Gary Gygax's history in creating Dungeons and Dragons, like I'm constantly (laughs) amazed at like, it, it's clear that there's not just uh, cultural and historical, um, like, inspirations, but also, like, from nature. Like, you know, that, that you're saying that really this idea is, is as old as, as nature itself. Yeah. And it's just, to me, like, the really the fascinating aspect is that this has become a motif that has transcended, like, nature and into culture. Yeah, that, that is incredible. And then into the realm of fantasy. Like, really, this is, like, one of those bridges of science fiction.
0: Yeah, and I, I really like the uh, the ecology of Mimics, how they kind of really tried making it scientific. You know, how they, I mean, they really did make it a scientific study on Mimics. And it just, it felt, it felt really cool to just be like, oh, okay, you know, that, like, that checks out, you know, that they have these pigments that they can put through their skin and, yes. and they have these little, like, eye spots. <laughs>
2: right, right, like a mechanic.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like Like, there's an actual, like, mechanic behind it. And it just, it felt so cool.
2: Yeah. Listening to, to your like exposition of them reminded me of when I was a kid and reading like the Harry Potter books and the way that the classes were structured in the Harry Potter world and what they were studying. Like, you know, there's that, that day that was all about like mandrake roots. And then there's like these potions, like this is that, like, that's what this felt like is like learning like the history of (laughs) mimics or like the. The science of Mimics is like totally fictional things. Yes. Like, I don't know. This is like, this is like what magic. Like, a real class. Yeah. They are, like, yeah. Like this is the kind of thing that wizards learn on like really a mundane Tuesday. <laughs> 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 yeah. It's very whimsical. Darkly whimsical.
0: Darkly whimsical. But yeah, Mimics. I love them. I love them. They're great.
1: <laughs> so cool. Cute. Have you ever come across one?
0: in in in, in what
1: yeah not in uh, real no. life in dnd
0: <laughs> so i was like in no i haven't we actually haven't uh come across a mimic well we i think we were close to a few mimics but never came across them officially
1: yeah me neither i want to now who was supposed to go next you were we want to hear your ghost story is it like a poltergeist
2: uh okay yeah so you could say that this ghost story is a poltergeist because i guess polter poltergeist is kind of by definition affect. Physical thing. Okay, I'm
1: I'm excited. Tell us about your topic.
2: I am going to tell you guys the legend of the Cock Lane ghost <laughs> <coughs> named Scratching Fanny. <laughs>
1: oh my god! Okay, I can't wait to hear it. Why? Why is it called the Cock Lane ghost? Is it like? Does it involve real cock, or is it? A literal street name. <laughs>
2: Real cock. So, I actually did do
1: extra research to figure
2: this out. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I had immediately the same question. What does this have to do with chickens? Cock. <laughs> <laughs> so, this takes place in London. Where else would you get stupid names like this? Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it takes. It takes place in London. So there's this market that still exists called Smithfield. And actually, like, the etymology of the name Smithfield uh, comes from Smoothfield. And it turns out that in about, like, the 1500s, the area outside of this London, like, center was Smoothfield. Like, quite literally. And it had, like, a ton of livestock. So the area became a meat market. And I think this is so quaint. They had streets that were literally named, so there was Cock Lane, where they would sell chickens, and there was Cow Cross <laughs> Street, there was Goose Alley, Pheasant Court. So oh uh, the area developed historically as a meat market in the 1500s, and some of the names stuck around, and unfortunately the worst name prevailed. <laughs> um, and so our ghost story takes place in the year 1762. Ooh, okay. Ooh. The, okay, so the man, uh, really the like central protagonist of the story is this guy named William Kent. Um, I'm going to talk about him a lot, so let's just call him Kent, like his last name. Okay. 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 Uh, he falls in love, not in London, but in one of like the rural um, areas around London. He falls in love with this woman named Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, unfortunately, dies in childbirth, like normally happens. Aww. And their son lived for like a teeny while, and then their son died. Um, so oh, that's so sad. It, yeah, of course. If we're going to have a ghost story, it's going to begin with It's
0: got to be game. sad. Yeah, no. it's got to be sad.
2: Yeah, of course, of course. So Kent um, is devastated by the fact that you know, his wife and son die, but maybe not too devastated because he kind of very quickly falls in love with Elizabeth's sister, Frances, whose nickname was Fanny.
0: Oh, oh Okay. <laughs>
2: okay okay now
1: we have a fanny yes i see where the fanny has come from
2: (laughs) (laughs) all right now that we've exposed the fanny uh so they couldn't they couldn't get married um kent and, and fanny because of canon law which is just like basically this religious law saying um if you married one person in the family you can't marry another person in that family and um they had like kind of tried to overrule this but then when like priests saw that there at one time was a living son they were like absolutely not you cannot be with fanny oh wow that's a bit harsh it was was very strict yeah so in kind of the um like rural areas they become a little bit of out uh, like an outcast, um, they become a bit ostracized and tent gets really depressed. So he's like, fuck it. I'll like move to London and just like start a new life there. And, uh, Fanny in the meanwhile starts writing him a bunch of very passionate, racy love letters. And he's like, fine, you can come hang. (laughs) Uh, So she comes with him to London. And at some point, like, I think that maybe like, so family, Fanny's family also did not like I think that they were kind of on the side of the the law that was like this is not natural this shouldn't happen Mm. so um it didn't really go into why but the article was saying that at one point Kent and Fanny were living together and they got kicked out of where they were living because presumably Fanny's family told the landlord that something illegal was going on in their relationship oh wow oh wow Yeah. scandalous yeah it was very scandalous exactly for the time and um I guess that they were still religious, so they're they're in London, and they were one day just kind of like I guess talking amongst themselves about their problems. And the clerk Richard Parsons, he's also going to come up a lot, so I'll just refer to him as Richard. Okay. Um. So we've got like Kent and Richard now. So Richard overhears them and feels bad for them, and so he offers the couple uh, lodgings at his place. Now, among in the town, Richard was. He was like respected, but everybody knew that he was a drunk and that he was poor. So it just so <laughs> happens that Kent's career really is loaning money. Very convenient. Yeah, and and now now that now that we're getting like sums of money involved, this is where things become controversy, right? Or this is where at least okay. motives start to enter. Yeah. So. Kent and Fanny loan Richard about 12 guineas. and at the time, so I, I ended up doing some some extra research. that would be about three thousand dollars in US dollars and about four, thousand dollars in Australian monies. That's a lot of money. Yeah, so he, yeah that's a hefty sum. He lends, he lends him quite a bit of money. Yeah. Uh, while he's still like living in Richard's uh, uh, abode. I guess some kind of boarding house of some kind or, yeah. or just house where everyone's sharing rooms. So, um, while he and Fanny are living there, Kent goes away for a wedding and Fanny at this point is severely pregnant. And Kent is like, Hey, I'm leaving my pregnant wife behind. So Richard, you've got a daughter. Can your daughter hang out with my wife and sleep in her bed? Oh, cool. <laughs> Which I guess was like a normal thing to ask. um, Confusingly, this daughter. <laughs> yeah, I know. yeah. I, you know, hospitality. I, I don't know. Um, so Richard's Richard's daughter. So Richard is the the clerk um, who has some money issues. Yeah. And who had borrowed money. So his daughter, confusingly, is also named Elizabeth. So don't get them mixed up. But now she's going to be the main Elizabeth of the story. So Elizabeth starts to sleep with Fanny. Not like that. <laughs> But they, they hang out, they hang out all the time. And while they're hanging out, they start to hear around the house, weird knocking and scratching. Oh. and it kind of, it freaks them out a little bit. So Elizabeth goes to her mom and she's like, I'm hearing these weird noises. And her mom is like, you fucking idiot. We live next to a cobbler. <laughs> like you're fine. <laughs> and so she's like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. checks out. But then they start to hear the knocking on a Sunday and the cobbler isn't working oh. on a Sunday. It must be a ghost. It's a ghost, naturally. A, a normal visitor, like a, a friend of the family, comes to the house and sees a white apparition ascending the stairs, and gets really scared yeah. and leaves. Ooh. So he he, like trembling, returns home, and then later Richard Parsons goes back and he's like, "Hey, why'd you leave?" And he's like, "I saw fucking ghosts in your house. I was really scared." So stuff is kind of mounting uh, to corroborate with with the daughter Elizabeth's story that like something a little bit freaky is going on in the house. Not long after, Fanny contracts smallpox. And she is like super pregnant at the time. So she's pregnant and really sick. And she knows that like, you know, even if she, like there's no way that she's going to survive the two of them at the same time. Like she's not going to survive childbirth and smallpox. So she calls over her attorney and she's like, make sure that Kent still gets my estate, even though we're not married. Like, I just want to make really, really sure that this is legitimate, that he's going to get my stuff. And I wouldn't normally get into this, but it becomes important later because Fanny still has living relatives, like actual like brother-sister relatives who would otherwise inherit her estate. So more motives enter the game once her family realizes that they have been left nothing. Mm -hmm. And this kind of illegitimate husband gets everything in the will. Basically, everything falls on Kent. And I, I honestly do feel bad for him, kind of as a spoiler. Um, I, I have the most sympathy for him. So he has this awkward job now because, of course, Fanny dies, and he needs to get her a coffin. But he can't say. Does she have the baby? I actually, it didn't say what happened to her baby. I don't know what happened to her baby. Oh wow. I don't know if the baby lived, like, possibly. I, you know, let's, let's err on the side of, of optimism and say the baby had, like, a really prosperous, happy life and lived. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. He, he was a multi-millionaire um, for the rest of his
0: life. A multi guinea multi <laughs>
2: <Multi-guineer. laughs> Yeah. Um, he became a famous skydiver. Um, yeah, there you go. He just really loved life. Uh <laughs> So Kent now, he has, you know, Fanny has died and he needs to get her a coffin, but like, it's still very scandalous, their whole relationship. So he's trying very hard to keep it on the DL, uh, the whole thing that they had. But the person who's trying to sell him the coffin is like, I need a name to put on this. And he's like, I don't have a name for you. And I guess there's like some kind of whole back and forth where Kent finally goes, fine, just put my name on it. (laughs) Um, which was the wrong choice because eventually the family finds out. Like
1: his own name on it. Um,
2: put my family name as if we were married. Oh.
0: Oh, oh I see. I see. no. Yeah. So
2: here's where more scandal enters, and Fanny's family finds out, and they're like, you should not have done that. And basically, like they see this as, as very offensive to their family. Oh. And not only do they find out that, you know, this whole embarrassing relationship has happened, but in that same time, they find out that Fanny has left them nothing. And apparently there was another brother in the family who died and left most of his fortune to Fanny. Uh-oh. And so they see this as their brother's fortune got passed to Kent instead of the rest of the family. Right. I see. And they're pissed, I'm guessing. They're very upset. Like, they've got a little bit of a vengeance plan. But in the meanwhile, Kent bounces right back and remarries. <laughs> oh, bloody Kent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, maybe... <laughs> Maybe this means that the baby survived, and he couldn't take care of the baby. Like maybe this is a good thing. Maybe this means that he needed another like live-in maid wife.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: oh, I hope so for the baby's sake, not for the the poor live-in maid wife. I know, exact, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so w- right now, like my story
2: is taking place at about 1761, and it's okay. really 1762 where shit really hits mm-hmm. the fan. So <sighs> I'm at this point. <laughs> Richard Parsons, the guy who owns the property, cannot pay back the loan of like the $3,000 of of today's money. Um, So Kent sues him. And Richard, like we were saying, is already like having trouble supporting for his family. And another woman comes to lodge at the house, presumably now that there's space because poor Fanny has died. But this new Oh yes this new woman also hears the mysterious knocking and scratching and she's so scared that she immediately moves out. So it wasn't it wasn't just the cobbler. no, no, because remember it had also happened on a Sunday when the cobbler was not working.
1: Yeah. And so she hears this scratching like a cat on a chair. Like a demon trying to come out of the wall.
2: <laughs> At one point, actually, <laughs> they do remove all the wainscoting in the apartment. Oh, shit. Yeah. it Like, it gets... It escalates. So, I had mentioned Richard Parsons' uh, daughter, Elizabeth. So, the one who was sleeping with Fanny.
1: With Fanny. Right? <laughs> so,
2: Elizabeth, who had heard the knocking and scratching before, she's the most afflicted by the hauntings. And they seem to follow her. People in town... Um, now that so there was like the woman who was lodging. There was the friend who came to visit. Like word spreads pretty quickly that this place is very well haunted. Like you were saying, Sarah, like by a poltergeist, like something that's that yeah. has like corroborative ev- evidence of scratching and and knocking. And people believed back then, mm. kind of generally, that if if a spirit prevails, then there is a message that needs to be conveyed. So the natural question becomes, what's the message that the spirits are trying to tell everybody? And the story comes about that, or, you know, the rumor comes about that Fanny, when she was alive, was haunted. That first knocking and scratching was her sister, Elizabeth, Kent's first wife. And she was warning Fanny that she was about to die.
0: Oh.
2: And now, Elizabeth has, she was the first ghost, but now Elizabeth, um, The kid is seeing the ghost of Fanny, who is warning everybody that she did not die from smallpox, did not die from childbirth, but was poisoned.
0: Oh, no.
2: (laughs) By her husband for her estate? Yes. Oh. At this point, they bring in an expert. They bring in a local preacher named John Moore. And so John Moore and the father Richard, so John and Richard kind of devise this plan to have with the ghost that uh, one knock means yes, and two knocks means no. The classic, classic one knock,
1: two knock. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: classic. <laughs> and so they start to ask Fanny questions about like how she was murdered or how she died, and it was through this process that Fanny, the ghost of Fanny, indicts Kent and, and accuses him of arsenic poisoning. And at this point, Fanny's Family chimes in and says, we never got to see our sister's body because she was boarded up so quickly in a closed casket.
0: Oh. Oh, no.
1: That is suspicious. Yes. (laughs) Yes. They're going to dig her up, aren't they? Oh, Sarah, you know. (laughs) Oh, dig her up. So before I get there. (laughs) Oh, the poor lady.
2: Before I get there, they at least try more civil practices. (laughs) And instead, they question um, a former maid, of the couple whose name is Esther Carrots Carl's And she was, <laughs> <laughs> she was called Carrots for her red hair. Oh. Oh. They questioned Carrots and they uh, they asked, like, do you think Kent poisoned your mistress? And she was like, no, I, I really don't think so. That doesn't sound right. And then they kind of there's like this scene where carrots is talking to the ghost is talking to the ghost of fanny and um through yes or no questions pretty much asks like are you mad at me and the ghost of fanny replies yes and fucking carrots goes you must be ashamed of yourself because i've
1: never hurt you in my life
0: (laughs) get it girl get it
1: i reckon carrots has a little bit more to do with the story so carrots
2: through and through like maintains that her master uh kent never never uh poisoned his wife she she really sticks I feel like the- that's what an accomplice would say though okay let's see let's see because at this point no one's been indicted yet
1: mm. okay okay yeah everyone's innocent until proven guilty <laughs> yeah. by a ghost <laughs>
2: I don't know why you'd accuse carrots. Just leave carrots alone. <laughs>
1: Sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> leave carrots alone.
2: Well, as you can imagine, um, this story gains a ton of traction. And yes. so, like, local newspapers and magazines are reporting on the Cock Lane Ghost. <laughs> um, and it's to the point where people are actually trying to attend seances in the house. Like, literal nobility, Like, lords and ladies are trying to come and, like, sit in on the room uh, when people would ask Fanny questions. Wow. And so they would have these parties where they stay up all night and ask Fanny, um, presumably, yes or no questions. But what I thought was so fucking funny was that the, um, like, attestations against... Uh, Kent were so powerful that at one point a family friend like the priest John Moore says to ask Fanny ask her if she'll appear in court against Kent (laughs) 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 ask her if she'll testify in court and a, a relative of Richard Parsons like a relative in the family was like don't fucking ask that
0: <laughs> don't don't do that.
2: So as more and more witnesses come, some suspicious details start to emerge. Um so there was one particularly skeptical person who showed up and took a seat right by the edge of the bed. And Elizabeth Richard's daughter was like, "Could you not sit by the edge of the bed?" Oh. And he said, "Uh-huh." And he said, "No."
0: Oh no.
2: So he refused to move. And Fanny did not appear that night until much, much later. So already that's a little bit suspicious.
0: Um, i'm I'm suspicious. It was
2: once people started to leave that suddenly some scratching appeared at like seven am. But, you know, that was the first kind of clue. Mm. Um, But then what made things a little bit trickier was that the hauntings seem to follow Elizabeth, Richard Parsons' daughter. And so, like, at one point, she's moved to a hospital and the hauntings follow her to a hospital. I think it's the daughter
1: who is haunting herself.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, So skeptics are, like, kind of start to catch on. And there's actually like a group of investigators. And I would love to pause here for a moment and tell you that one of the investigators is a well-known
0: meme. <laughs> yeah, Maybe. you're talking about this.
2: So I don't know if you know the meme of this man in a powdered wig who's looking at a piece of parchment very close to his face, like confused. I'll have to like post it to our Twitter. Um, There's, there's, this, like, there's this man in a powdered wig who looks at something like up close. To okay, I first yes, saw him yes. in the like... There's this like video of this guy who's pronouncing pregnant a bunch of different ways from Yahoo Answers, like pregnant <laughs> and that and, and
1: stuff.
0: There's, Gregnant?
1: Am oh, i pregnant. <laughs> <We're> pregnant. <laughs> yes. Um, so in that, in
2: that video, there's like this brief moment where that meme shows up and that guy, that portrait of that guy, like he's one of the paranormal investigators. His name is Dr. Samuel Johnson. Presumably he's famous for many other things and not just being in a in a <laughs> pregnant <laughs> biggest piece of evidence is that there's like one night where they're like, Elizabeth, you have to leave your arms out on either side of your bed tonight. You 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 like your arms always need to be in, in plain view and that night none of the sounds come. And then there's like a separate occasion where some of her maids see her sneaking a, a small piece of wood. Mm. They tell on her and that piece of wood gets confiscated and it turns out that this is where the scratching and knocking was coming from was this piece of wood. But really pressed for um, questioning, especially like in court, it comes about that uh, her father really put her up to it. But of course, before this happens, just (gasps) like Sarah predicted to get out of the debt. Yeah, yes kind of in general because it was also attracting all of these people yeah but before they could really do it because people really firmly believed that this was a haunting and so to really seal the deal they had to go open up fanny's casket
0: oh no oh,
2: <laughs> yep and so you know according to the article the people who did it like you know the the priest um uh, Mr. Moore like opens it up and it's it's bad. She is like super decayed, um, and there's no evidence oh, of arsenic oh. poisoning. And it was just like, apparently, like the the image of it like really stuck with him. Um, so it's like, yeah, this woman is dead, dead, and the like we we found the wood like on the daughter. So yeah, like I said, under questioning the daughter kind of puts the blame on the father and says, you know, he really put me up to it. And the father, I found this so funny. So of course, part of his punishment is that he's kind of like sued for um, like defamation of character sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. So he owes money to Kent because the whole, I mean, like everybody accused him of being a murderer. So they, he owes Kent pretty much reparations. So do other people involved. And that totals, At the time it was about £688, which I uh, converted, it's about 170,000 US dollars and about 220,000 Australian monies.
0: That's a lot of money.
1: It would have just been cheaper for him to pay the original debt. Yeah, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) Um, but what I thought was so funny was not only did he have this fine, of course he had a few years in prison, but he also was sentenced three times to pillory. What's pillory? Thank you for asking. Drew, do you know what pillory <laughs> is?
0: No, I I don't.
2: <laughs> I didn't know there was a word for this. It's that old-timey thing where you stick your head and your hands through these wooden no. holes and just stay there in the middle of town.
0: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. People just throw shit at you. Oh,
2: that's amazing. (laughs) You just, like, you know, (laughs) force people to berate you. Yeah, you're just ridiculed or, like, rotten tomatoes are thrown at you. So... In three different months, I don't know for how long, like maybe like a, a day or a few days, um, he was sentenced to pillory. But actually, people felt so bad for him, or they were still so convinced of the ghost because this, like I said, was like very popular. Like there were like crowds of people in Cock Lane. Oh. Um, people actually like kind of crowdfunded money for him to pay off the the defamation. I would really like to put in a plug for the people who, who work so hard at Wikipedia. You know how I found this actually this is so bad to our practice, but I didn't read a single thing I clicked on. So I, what happened was <laughs> I was on cactus and I saw like the beautiful kind of anatomical drawings of cacti. And I was like, who the fuck makes these? Like, I want to know whose drawing style this is because it's such a beautiful print and it it had to do with some encyclopedia, yeah. and then that encyclopedia went to the author, but then I was in this nonstop loop of like this guy made the encyclopedia. The encyclopedia was made by this guy. This guy made the encyclopedia and it just didn't stop. So I went I went back to Cactus and I was like, fuck it, I'm not even gonna read anything. And I just clicked on like every link I could find. <laughs> I I ended up 12 clicks away but then I saw in the top right hand corner of of this article I was on uh, the name of the article was the worst journey in the world (laughs) amazing it had to do with an excursion across the Arctic (sighs) um, the Terra Nova expedition yeah so I almost stopped there but I noticed that this article had something i would never seen before which was in the top right hand corner there was kind of this blue star on Wikipedia And so I clicked this blue star and it turns out if an article is featured on Wikipedia, it gains this blue star. And so I was kind of scrolling through other like important Wikipedia articles. And there was an entire section of articles that are posted on April Fool's Day. And uh, yeah, that's where I saw cock lane Ghosts, And I was like, obviously I'm going to click on that.
0: Yeah. How could you not?
2: (laughs) So um, really I can't take the credit for this one. Um, you know, the people behind Wikipedia have found this and, and really judged its merit before I did. Um, but that's how I ended up getting there. That's amazing. Good on Wikipedia. But while we're talking
1: about hauntings, Sarah, tell us about these cursed tablets. Yes, please. Oh, yes. Yes, this is right. So, yeah, as I said, it only took me three clicks to get to my first bit of this topic, which is called the Pella curse Tablet. And then I did a little bit more reading on the Cursed Tablet's Wikipedia page. I'm so excited because when I clicked on the Pella Cursed Tablet, it's just magical wonderland. And so first, I'll, I'll get to it eventually, um, but first I want to give you a rundown of what a Cursed Tablet is. Um, so it, it's not like a pill type tablet. It's like a piece of like either uh, lead or uh, rock with like etchings on it, so it's like back in the old days when if you wanted to write something down, you, you had to etch it into something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, yeah. And so cursed mm-hmm. tablets are typically um, either on thin sheets of lead with the text scratched in in tiny letters, and they are uh, often rolled and folded or pierced with nails. And then the tablets are usually placed beneath the ground, um, either buried in graves or placed on tombs, which I thought was so interesting yeah to hide it like on a are they like hidden on tombs, yeah so they're they're either hidden on tombs or they're buried in a grave, um and the whole logic behind this is that you want the dead to be able to convey your message with the gods, um and so in oh my God, yeah, so these cursed tablets, um they're not specific to one region in the world, they are kind of more specific to more of the ancient region, so um like a few hundred to a few thousand years. B.C. type era. Um, so from around, yeah, from around like Greece, the um, Egypt, Italy. Oh, wow. And so one of my favorite types of cursed tablets uh, was... Uh, the ones that they used to do in ancient Egypt, Um, and these ones, so these were from around the 12th uh, dynasty, and what you would do if you were an Egyptian, would you would write the names of all of your enemies on these like clay figurines, or on the the clay tablets, then you smash it all up, and then you bury it under either like a building or a construction site, so you're like Smothering your <laughs> your enemies yeah. by smashing them up and putting them under under a a new building or under under a grave, which I thought was just amazing. Um, and yes, it made me laugh because it reminds me a little bit of like my nan. My nan has always, if someone is on her enemy list or if someone has done her wrong, she'll write down the name on a piece of paper and put it in the freezer. Oh, really? Because you freeze out. Yeah, you freeze out the bad energy in your life. So if someone's being mean to her back in the day, she'd write their name on on a piece of paper and put it in the fridge. Oh, I love that. Yeah, me too. So I thought this was like an amazing type of like, people still do kind of this type of thing in everyday life, but the ancient Egyptians were doing it for the people who pissed them off, which I thought was amazing. I just especially
2: love the image of your grandmother just like getting like all oh, mad, yeah. like you know calming down, like peacefully writing the name on a piece of paper and slamming the freezer shut and um <laughs> into the icebox.
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure that um I remember when I was in high school and my best friends at the time were being absolute bitches to me. And so my nan made me write their names down on a piece of paper, and I'm pretty sure that still exists in her fridge oh, <laughs> or in her freezer. <gasps> what solidarity! <laughs> that is so sweet. Is. <laughs> I know. Oh, she's the best. <clears throat> Shout out to my Ning Ning.
0: Oh, um, that is very sweet.
1: So it's these these curse tablets. So they weren't always used to place a curse on on someone so it wasn't always for your enemies they could also be used to try help the dead um so if you knew someone or there was someone who had died at a very young age or in like a violent manner you could write them kind of like almost like a, a nice wish and bury it in their their mm-hmm. grave and this was to try help them on the other side or to try bring them peace on the other side um which i thought was really fascinating mm-hmm. Um, and so what is really, really cool is that on these tablets, depending on where they were from across the road, uh, across the road, <laughs> across the world, um, they would. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, so yes, depending on where they were from in the world would depend on who the tablet was being written to. So it could either be written to like an infernal, Uh, like god or it could be written to like a god or a goddess such as like pluto or um like char charon Um, and then sometimes um you could write it just directly to the dead person so an example um, of this was a pala curse tablet which is what i originally clicked on and i thought this was so so cool. So the Palo curse tablet dates back to 375 BC, um, and it was found mm. in the capital of uh, Macedon in 1986. So found quite recently. And so this no. this curse tablet is kind of like a curse slash like love spell written on this clay tablet, and it's a magic spell or love charm that was written by this woman who basically is trying to beg the gods not to let the man that she's in love with marry this other woman and so she's invoking like the demons and um like the dead to basically make her lover marry her instead and that the only way that this can be undone is if she physically digs up the spell to to decurse it which i thought was just a wild ride (laughs) it
0: is a wild ride um,
1: this lady. She is very she's very sure of herself.
2: Like the level of conviction, I think, is what's so incredible.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I love that this was like she's just taking a chance on the demons and the gods though to be like Yeah, we got you. I damn it, he's mine. <laughs> like... <laughs> and I almost I feel sorry for her because he obviously wasn't that into her if he was choosing to marry another woman. <laughs> yeah
2: yeah i mean poor guy i
1: know um and i wish i wish i knew what actually happened to her like did she get to marry the guy um but we'll we'll never know but the reason we found this was because she buried it in a grave so she buried it in the grave of this guy who we think his name was macron and so in her curse tablet she calls upon this guy's spirit to help her um, and what is unknown is whether she actually knew Macron or whether she just picked a random grave and buried <laughs> it in there. Right, that's going to be my question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel like if you're going to start digging up someone's grave, you hopefully should know them. Hopefully
0: know them a little
1: bit. Just a little bit, yeah. Could it have been that his name meant something?
2: Like there's symbolism in his name?
1: Yeah, or it could have been one of the like he might have died tragically, so maybe he had something to to prove to the gods, so I don't know. That's a good yeah, that's a good theory. Um but I thought I would read you the curse tablet because it's only eight lines. Oh, please. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I thought I would try to like just preface it because there's some there's some things in here that are wild. So we just got to remember that uh Macron is the dead guy that she buried this tablet in. Now, we think her name was Dagna, mm-hmm. and her lover's name was Dysophen. Mm-hmm. So, with that in mind, here is the curse tablet. Mm-hmm. Of Thalmia and Dysophen, the ritual wedding and the marriage bind by written spell, and for all other women, both widows, widows and maidens. But of Thalmia in particular, I want to entrust to Markron... And the demons, that only when I shall dig up this again and unroll and read this, that she might wear Dalsfon. But not before, for I wish him to take no other woman than me. And that I grow old with Dalsfon, and that no one else, I am your supplicant. Um, Which we don't actually know what that word is, so they've just guessed. Um, Have pity on Phila, dear demons, for I am danger all of my dear ones and i am abandoned but this god for my sake that these things do not happen the wretched thalmia perishes miserably but i become happy and blessed um so she's basically saying fuck that bitch thalmia i would like the man i would like to be happy and blessed you can be miserable which is just wild and we think we think that she actually etched this herself because there's a lot of misspellings and um kind of Ah. like phonetic spelling so it's written in ancient greek and so they think that because there is (laughs) this kind of she's somewhat educated but not educated Mm -hmm. enough to be able to spell these words correctly that that she would have etched this herself which is pretty fascinating um, because in in some of my digging around, in, in my research, I found that um, some archaeologists and anthropologists are, are starting to think that some of these tablets that they have found around the place, so either in, they found them across like Italy, Greece, um, and Egypt, and then places in England, like Bath, um, what they find is that they think these might be of being pre-etched a lot of the time. So it was, you know how you can go to the store and buy a birthday card or a, a condolence card and you just write the person's name and then your name in there. This is basically that, but for cursed tablets. So you could buy like a pre-etched tablet and get them to etch the name of who you were trying to curse or who you were trying to bless, which I thought was wild. Oh my God. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yeah. That someone thousands of years ago had a little shop selling oh, cursed tablets oh my
0: god
1: <gasps> which i think is just amazing oh my god.
2: you you could still make so much money right now exactly you could hallmark, still do hallmark that. is
1: doing it <laughs> for well wishes <laughs> oh my god um, yeah <gasps> and so they they found that some of these tablets the whoever etched them like would put their own flair on them so there's a lot of these um, uh, words, they call them voscos mystic, mystic words. I can't say it properly, but basically um, what it means is that there's these these words that are not common in the whatever the native language was that they were written in. And so instead of misspellings, they think because they see these words repeated many times across different tablets that they were these kind of like made up language that these tablet etches would just like it's like sprinkling a bit of pizzazz to pretend that they really were contacting demons with like this made up you know (laughs) god-like demon language (laughs) isn't that cool um just to sound smart yeah
0: Holy crap. They'd make up stuff so that it seemed more legit. That's funny. Yeah,
1: pretty much. Like their own their own language to the gods.
2: Or like, you know, it's their own branding.
0: Oh yeah, I can see right. that. Right.
2: Or, yeah, like, you know, if you've had success with this entity that you have either smashed together or made up yourself, <laughs> then, like, you know, only you have that connection or, or you know, like, that is something that sets you apart from your competitors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. oh, man, that's so good. And so so presumably you would have to go bury it yourself,
1: though? I think so. I don't think they offered the burial <laughs> 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 I just think it's... Uh so crazy that someone would buy i mean not so crazy that they would buy a cursed tablet that that's more believable That then you're going to go dig up someone's grave and stick it in there hoping that they can take it to the afterlife was it in the casket do you know or was it just buried in the vicinity i don't know for sure i think it was like more on top of the like if they were in caskets or in burial rags i think it was just within the same hole like pit that they've found them in. Yeah. Or like
2: are you like crashing someone's funeral and just throwing it in while the hole is open? <laughs> yeah. You know, like toss it. it. would be like you walk up to a funeral, rip out a page of your diary and toss it in before they sprinkle the dirt. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> so though I
1: guess pe- people do that, right? Like people will write letters or or things to the deceased. That's true. And put them in with the the grave. I mean, I think it
2: makes sense. I feel like if not even if I was alive then, I think I would do this.
0: That's weird. That's weird to me.
2: <laughs> no, like I think if I was obsessed with somebody, I don't know. I think I would I could I could see me or or like a an ancient incarnation of myself being like, I'm obsessed with this person and like not even death is going to stand in my way. Like I I w- I feel like I've yeah. been a person to bury one of these things. I I think I certainly would.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's amazing. <laughs> well I think I love I, I would have loved to have known more about this woman. Yeah and like what happened? Like what happened? Was she dating this guy or was she just obsessed with him and hated who he had chosen for for his wife? But yeah, I wonder what happened. Like I would love to know did they get married? you know, or was this woman just miserable for the rest of her life? It's kind of amazing, like you always know that there are stories
2: of unrequited love, like, you know, that's where poetry really comes from, but to think that it could Mm. take a turn like that, that that's just so human to me, and it's kind of incredible that this could have existed literally thousands of years ago, this whole idea that's like I will appeal to the gods for the things that I'm like completely desperate for.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And most likely because um although we don't we pretty much don't know anything other than her probable name, um back then she most likely would have been young around the time that like they would have women would have been wed off or you would have met your suitable partner. So I can just imagine her as like this young teenager. Pining. who is obsessed yeah pining for this boy and she can't have him
2: that's very that's relatable like
1: me at 14 yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Appealing, appealing to the demons
1: <laughs> man like when I was like 14
2: I used to like steal my crush's erasers and keep them in a box or something like this is like oh, this is like if I carved into so those cute. erasers and put them in a grave like this is like yeah <laughs> I definitely would have done if somebody put the idea
0: in my head <laughs> <laughs> in your head. <laughs> oh,
1: that's amazing. <laughs> I didn't steal the but I remember I had this crush for many years when I was very young, like from like age, I don't know, like 7 to 12, like had the crush on the same guy for so many years. But I remember once I wrote him, like, a card, basically being like, I think you're really cool. And I spent so much time, like, coloring it in with my little pens. But I I feel like that would have been similar to how this girl felt. (laughs) That is so (laughs) cute, though. Oh, so sad. Imagine I think he ever
2: realized. This is a great point, though. Imagine if multicolored pens existed in the time of writing these tablets. Like these. <laughs> 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 I curse you, Demetrius.
1: <laughs> it's so funny. I love it. Oh, no, um, but yeah that i think that's all i have on these uh curse curse tablets i just thought they were really cool and especially the the one that i stumbled across first the, the pella curse tablet i just i feel for this lady or girl however old yeah. she was yeah. she's just pining that is yeah Those very humans just don't
2: change <laughs> no not <laughs> yeah. at all well, thanks for hanging out with us, you guys. Um, I hope that you learned something that you'll take away with you. If not, um, as a shower thought, then maybe something that you chat with your friends next time you guys are hanging out. Um, I know personally, a lot of these facts stuck with me and kept ringing in my head. Like, I can't believe that's fucking real. Reality is so much stranger than fiction. Um, if you want to come hang out for more mischief and hijinks, uh, our Twitter is Go Ask Alice Pod. Uh, We would love to hang out with you and hear about all the places you have ended up, whether it's on YouTube, it's on TikTok, or, you know, also on Twitter itself. And clearly Wikipedia is a very fertile ground for very strange things. So thanks for hanging out with us and uh, we will see you again next week. of the toilets in my dreams are weird.